Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the winter of 2018, four Delta Green agents are called upon to look into the disappearance of a police officer in a northern Minnesota housing project. Join Paul, played by Chris, Kendra, played by Becca, Mick, played by Joreen, and Dougie, played by Joaquin, in Project Echo, a scenario for Delta Green. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM and on Facebook and Discord at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So we're going to cut to Dougie and and Mick. What are you guys doing right now? Well, after getting the fast food and just eating it because he's hungry, I think Dougie is definitely going to be talking to Sam. So you want to wait till morning to call the daughter or do you want to call him now, try to get a late night thing? What do you want to do? Michaela has been flipping through other Manila folders a couple of times, has been trying to A, find if we even have a phone number in there, what information do we have on the daughter, that kind of stuff. And based on that, she's going to answer this question. You don't have a contact information for the daughter. As an FBI agent, you know you definitely have some ways to get this information, but nothing that is obvious or apparent. Dougie, you know that there's a lot of buildings inside, as a thief, you know that there's a ton of apartments inside these buildings, and there's probably a lot of them that are vacant. People move, get evicted, die, go to prison, any number of things, and these apartments are not always filled at capacity. So that's something that's kind of ringing around your head right now. As a thief, as a burglar, or X, I'll let you decide that, but... It's definitely X, but he's kind of interested in, in removing the X part, but so basically he's, like, seeing this whole... So basically, as he got into the whole Delta Green stuff by, you know, he was an informant in doing stuff, and so eventually he started noticing that weird stuff started going on on some of the people he, like, ran in circles with, and he just kept reporting as usual, and eventually you know, his reports started working their way up the food chain, it's like, oh, hey, you know, people, you know, you know I, I thought just, oh, I got feds talking to me and stuff. I think this is like his, definitely like his will be his first, like, you know, called in operation type thing for the agency. So he's definitely seeing it as like, oh, cool. I'm getting, I'm really doing like, you know, spy stuff. This is a shit. And it's cool for you because you served time in prison for, for, burglary for breaking and entering but this almost seems like a situation where you're being encouraged to to use those skills that you were really good at so yeah it's definitely like see i didn't need i needed didn't need to finish high school i'm getting paid to to, to do crime stuff see take that mom sorry mom i love you right. yeah and uh mick you're in the passenger seat of this truck right now and uh you know, you can smell this fast food that's being eaten and you feel the, the heat from the the truck's heater coming out. Yeah. So she's looking over at Dougie, first at the food, then at Dougie, judgmentally. Well, we could try 
and contact the daughter, but there is no contact information in any of these files. So I may need to call in a favor first to get that information. Well, you're fed, right? Can't you, don't you have like access to like databases and just call up the police agency? Pretty sure they have this number or something next again. That sort of shit, right? Yes, if I have a good reason to do so. It's not like I can just claim that I need that information and they'll give it to me. You can't. N- no, oh. I have to give reason to do that. That's but I might still have a favor open with someone. Um, let me. Think uh, about I don't know. Maybe uh, say that uh, uh, you saw someone suspicious hanging. Or, I don't. I don't know. Bring up like an old court. Someone have new evidence or something. They wanted to talk to the daughter or something. I don't know. I mean, you also have to tell the truth, I guess. Yeah, the problem is also that this is a cold case that's, and I come from California, so. I thought the whole point of the the federal stuff is that it doesn't matter what state you're from. True, but this is a very local case, and good point. There is not really a reason for an agent from California to look into a missing person cold case file all the way up north. But I, I can pull some strings, probably. Pull them strings. You want you want some food? Uh, you you got to make sure to eat when you can. I am not hungry at the moment. Um, uh, Handler, can I, can I pull some strings? Yeah, you could definitely try. I mean, somebody that you, like, you're, you probably would be good enough friends with somebody that they would get this information for you. And maybe them getting this information wouldn't turn any heads. And you could definitely just start making some phone calls. I would say within 30 minutes, you would get this contact information. And you wouldn't have to ruffle too many feathers to do it. It would kind of just be favors from friends within the agency. Can't really tell you what I got right now, but I'll, I'll definitely let you in when, when I have more. Something like that. Oh, this is hush hush. I can't really tell you what I'm working on. And, you know, people... People in that profession, yeah. So um, unless uh, there's anything else you want to do, Dougie, we'll say that, Mick, in about a half hour, you're going to have the contact information. So you're given the okay, and you're just kind of waiting on that to to arrive. Well, it took 30 minutes, but I got something. I got her phone number. That means that now it's already 9.30, which is... Over here, like where, where I come from, people tend to stay up late and stuff. Over here, would you think that is still a reasonable time to make a phone call about something? Uh, it'd be kind of late. I mean, it ain't, we, I mean it's late. It, we're not like New York City. You know, you know everyone's awake 24-7. But, I mean, it's it'd be late, but it'd be possible to call them, I guess. It could go either way. I mean, this is presumably a younger person, so... You know, if it was like a, an older person, they might have like a, this might be like their bedtime right now. But this is like a younger person. You're probably kind of assuming they, they have like maybe a nightlife or personal life and they could be up or, you know, like young people work all kinds of different work schedules. You, you really never know. So, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that you'd be able to contact this person now. Okay. So then Michaela, as soon as she has the phone number, she's going to dial it. The, the phone picks up after about three rings and you just hear a soft female voice on the other end of the line. Hello? Uh, hello. 
Uh, is this the daughter of, uh, is this Miss Johnson? You hear this kind of silence on the other end of the line and you just hear this very, almost like very kind of like earnest and almost like an emotional tone. You just hear, oh my God, you found my dad? Like she's bracing herself for some bad news right now. Not exactly, but let's just say your cold case file got picked up by uh, a group of specialists in these kinds of cases. And we would really, we would like to help you solve this. But for that, we do need to have a conversation with you and know everything that you know. You hear this this quiet on the other end of the line, this kind of reluctance. But then she kind of relaxes as she realizes that you're not calling her to tell her that her father is dead, which is something that she was almost bracing herself for. And you kind of just hear her, you know, like expelling breath, just sighing in relief almost. Just I, I didn't hear anything from the officers working my dad's case that they had any new leads. I, I don't understand. Who are, who are you? Well, the officers have officially declared your case to be a cold case, which is why they don't put that much effort in. But we are a team of specialists that will put in that kind of effort. You could see us as some sort of private agency, but don't worry about the costs. Everything is covered. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are, are you guys actually cops? You're not those phenomena X fucking weirdos that have been hounding me ever since I made the missing persons case, are you? No, we are not that group of people. Look, I just want to be very clear with you. My father was a good man. My father tried to protect his community. He is not some interesting subject for a fucking reality TV show or or whatever ghost hunters bullshit. So if you have anything to do with that, I'm going to hang up right now. No, no, don't don't hang up. Please don't hang up. We are not with a film crew. We are not some wacky people that just want that are just here for thrill seeking. We are here to help. I'm willing to meet you in a open place where you don't have to give me your your address or anything. Just here to want to meet you so we can have a conversation about what you know about your father that's all i'm asking for she's quiet again for a little bit look whatever it takes i just want to find my dad we didn't have the best relationship and when we when when i filed that missing persons report we hadn't been on the best terms the last time we spoke i just don't want his last memory of me to just be me mad at him I just, I feel so horrible about it. Anything you need, really, I'll, I'll, I'll come find you. We can talk on the phone. You can come here. If you think you can help me find my dad, anything, I'll do it. Yes, I think I can. And if you want, at the time you meet me, I'm willing to identify myself and everything. I think that, I think that would make me feel better about this. Okay. Okay, let's do this then. Where would be convenient for you to meet up? I have cleared my schedule for this thing so i'm good whenever uh i wasn't planning to go out i just um i was actually just getting ready for bed look would you guys be able to come here 
if that's what you want, then we'll come over. That's no problem. Um, just for your information, I'm trying to create create expectations over here. I will bring an accomplice. So, you know, I won't be coming alone. I will be coming with another man. No, that's fine. You guys are cops. Uh, whatever. Uh, okay, here's my address. And she, she tells you the address. And uh, Dougie, you would know it's actually very close to the Echo housing projects. You're starting to get a bigger picture of this man. This man did live close to this community that he was so adamant about trying to help. Not, not part of it. He didn't live in the, in the buildings, but this was, you know, him and his daughter's surrounding area. And you start to kind of like feel why he, he would feel a stake in the well-being of this community. And you also get the idea that, you know, even though he was a police officer and like him and his daughter did not live in the best area, they kind of live in a lower income area of Northern Minneapolis. Uh, so you have the address and Dougie, you're pretty confident as to, as to uh, how to find it and where it is. All right. So yeah, I'll give her the, give uh, Michaela the address. And so what's our, st- so we're like private investigators ish almost thing about just because I don't, yeah. I don't want to go in there with looking me and just be like, yeah, I'm with the FBI and stuff. Because I don't quite look that way, you know. No offense to you FBI guys, it's just you, y'all, y'all dress. What's with all the suits? I don't get the suits. That's beside the point. Um, also not really dressed the way I would dress for work currently. But yes, private agency usually works. Okay, good. Because that's sort of what Delta Green is, but not really. Cool. So, you like sports? And then they just like awkwardly just try to make conversation as uh, they drive off to the place. Yes. I I have a running group that I haven't been around much lately. Running? Huh. Yeah. Keeps you fit, you know? I guess. And- I'm not really one for running. I, I guess I'm mostly, I, I prefer like watching sports and stuff. I mean, occasionally I do go like, you know, play basketball with, out in the courts or I uh, do like sometimes play a little baseball here and there, but not like nothing really hardcore to it. Dougie, does somebody ever tell you that you talk too much? Well, once, but then I, I usually find that just, it's, it's, you have to find a nice balance. There are some people you don't want to run your mouth off against. That's fortunately, there are so people that are very few. And unless you, you are in immediate danger of catching a bullet from them, you don't have to worry about that. Or a shiv, but that's beside the point. That's only that only applies to prison rules. That's a whole different beast. But most people if actually don't you don't you can get away with talking a lot. Shivs. Wait, Dougie, what was your profession again? I let I talk to cops or higher up people about uh, stuff going on. I just I let them know what, who people talk to, what they sell, you know, what they shoot, stuff like that. Right. Yeah, well, so how did you end up with all of this then? Well, well, well it's, I think the first time was when I saw some dude, he had some kind of weird, like, it was like some, you know, Indiana Jones shit. Like, he had some kind of stone plate thing with Bob stuff. It, really freaky looking thing, too. Some kind of, it wasn't was some kind of like bug thing with Bob thing. And so he was, he was putting that around. He had it, like, he had it, like, you know, on his desk, and he was constantly staring at it. Told some guys about it. They told other guys about it. 
I'm pretty, I think at some point that dude, I think he like went down and they had to like, you know, swap team raided his place. There was a big gunfight, a lot of blood everywhere. I, from what the stories I heard, I did it burn down. Or was that the, was that the guy who had the, uh, the, the fake skin rug thing? Uh, some, I've seen some st- weird stuff. And uh, you guys just kind of, you know, you're engaging in this small talk and you, you continue driving until you get to Tamara's house. And it's a, it's like a studio apartment that's the second floor in this kind of like three apartment uh, building. And it's not like the worst place. It's just kind of, you know, the type of place that if you're just a one person with, with a some kind of income, you might be able to afford this place. It's not in the best area, but also this is like kind of an area where there's like some hip bakeries and and stuff like that. So you kind of start to see where like the nicer parts of the city are like kind of bleeding in to this lower income area that's slowly becoming more gentrified as time moves on. And then like further past this area, it's just an area where it's only lower income people and there's a lot more crime and a lot more urban problems that are kind of less prevalent where Tamara lives. But you pull up to this street parking and you see where, where her apartment is inside of this building on the second floor. When you read the sign, you can see it's a, you know, she's 211 or something. And that's like her official address. And it's the second building in this place. And as you guys pull up, you see a woman standing on a balcony smoking a cigarette. She's wearing black sweatpants and this kind of like long white uh, t-shirt that she was probably sleeping in. And you see her, she's a, she's a a African-American woman in her probably early twenties. She has very long curly black hair. She has like very beautiful features. Like Dougie, when you look up at her, you kind of like get this, you know, you're almost like uh, taken aback. You know, you, she looks like maybe a model you've seen in like one of the magazines you used to read while you're doing time, you know, just flipping and just, just looking at girls because there's none on the inside. And, you know, you just thought about when's the next time I'm going to ever see a, a woman's face again. And you're like, is that that, is she like a model or something? And, you know, she's just a beautiful woman standing out on this, on this balcony having a cigarette and she kind of motions to you guys when you when you step out of the truck and she's just like go ahead i'll buzz you in and she puts her cigarette out and and heads back inside nikela will walk straight from the car to the door and be and wait for her to be buzzed in and you guys get to the door and you hear that "Eh," as the as the buzzer goes off and you hear this click as this uh heavy iron door just unlocks and when you guys step inside there's kind of this dank carpet smell there's no elevator just just stairs and you see where you could kind of walk on further into the first apartment of the building or or take stairs up to the second or third um and you see like there's this kind of uh three mailboxes for each of the apartments and you see that tamaris has a bunch of junk mail poking out of it and as you guys start to walk up the stairs to her apartment you'll kind of see the door slightly ajar and you you catch a glimpse of these brown eyes looking through you looking through the ajar door into the foyer of this apartment and it opens up 
further and you see that it's Tamara and she welcomes you guys in. Here, come in, come in. I, I just started some coffee. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, that sounds great. And she uh, she pours out some coffee into these various, just whatever mugs she could grab. And uh, she sits you guys down on this kind of nicer uh, white leather couch. She's uh, done a very good job to make this apartment seem very homey. It seems like very nicely designed, super clean. Um, and you're just starting to get this idea that she's like a very put together person and you see like this art up on the walls and there's like a lot of it and you see like different art supplies and you're starting to put together like, okay, she's an artist. This is probably her work. She might be involved in that, that profession, that industry, or even just being involved in the art scene on like a small level. But this is like what she does. You see these canvases, you see the spots on the wall where she's, you know, gotten drops of, of paint from, from working on something too much. And you see like these different sheets of plastic that are kind of like put out over these hardwood floors to catch falling paint while she's, while she's working. And she sits you guys down on this couch. So you have information about my dad? I don't know if we have new information, but the case got in our possession or in the position of our agency And they asked me and my team to take a look into it. So basically what you can see it as is a fresh pair of eyes or a fresh couple of eyes looking at this and looking for your father. And she's quiet for a moment. She grabs this picture frame off the table and she shows it to the both of you. And it's a picture of presumably her at a younger age with with Roger Johnson and with another woman, presumably her mother. And she just kind of shows it to you guys. And she's like, you know, we, we used to butt heads a lot, but he was always, he was always an awesome dad, you know, and, and not all of my friends had dads. Not all of my friends had these great parents. And even when my mom died, he was still, he was still there for me. But I, you know, I, I always butted heads with him. I always questioned him and and went against his word. I was always getting into trouble and I always felt like he was trying to control me, trying to, trying to control my life. But, you know, when I stopped being a teenager, I get a little older, you know, I was able to kind of see that he was, he was really looking out for me. He was doing everything I, everything he could to make sure that I had the best life possible. And even knowing that I never, I never fixed what was broken between me and him. And I was always just frustrated with where his work as a, as a cop was taking him. When he, when he got kicked off the force, he kind of went down this downward spiral. And instead of helping him, I rejected him. And I, maybe I just didn't know that, you know, I never saw myself, and she's starting to tear up a little bit. I never saw myself having to file a missing persons report for my dad. And I never thought that I would be the only one left who cares about him after after it's all said and done the people in the department turned their backs on him his old friends his old old partners they think he's crazy and i admit i i think he he's a little bit crazy as well but all he ever wanted to do was to help people and everybody's forgotten that they've moved on to whatever else is next in the job in life you know i just whatever happens, don't want him to be forgotten about. He was a good dad. He was a good husband to my mom. I just 
feel guilt and sorrow that I, I let our relationship just become ruined for stupid reasons. The last thing I ever heard from my dad was about a week before, before I, you know, I had really, I had really decided that he was, he was gone, you know, and that I couldn't contact him. He had called me and he, he went on this crazy rant about something called pan, some kind of old pagan, I don't know, voodoo thing. I, look, I, I don't know. He was saying pan and typhon and, you know, he was just so frantic. And I, I, I don't know what any of that really means. And I was worried that he was like drunk or on drugs or something. You know, he, he would spend a lot of time in these echo projects apartment buildings, just kind of staking it out, looking around. He was a persona non grata there, even though he tried to help out the people that live there. They didn't want to talk to a cop. And even when he wasn't a cop anymore, he, you know, he just kind of still hung around there and, and tried to make these connections and tried to investigate, even though he wasn't on the case. And I was so mad at him. I was so mad that he couldn't just, you know, just, just pick something regular, just be my dad again. He didn't want to do it. You know, he was always talking to this woman whose uh, son got murdered there, you know, and I think she might have been like the only lady who was kind of crazy enough to listen to his weird theories to uh, kind of entertain these wild thoughts that he had about this place. Uh, But she was the mother of that kid, Jerome, who got stuffed into the bottom of the staircase there, you know, back almost 10 years ago. And my dad was just obsessed with this case, you know, and he, he never, he never let up up until the, up until the point where, and, you know, I, I knew he was gone because he used to text me once a week and just remind me that he loved me, but I usually wouldn't text back. You know, I was just so mad. And now I just, I just wish I could just tell him. And she just shakes her head and wipes a tear from her eye. And she's like, you see a tear fall down onto this picture that she's holding. Yeah, he called me in the middle of the night, ranting and raving about how he was going to figure out what was behind all this, all this crazy stuff going on in the buildings. Like there is some, some one thing you can put your finger on. You know, my dad was like that. He thought he could fix everything. And I think that probably is what got him in the end. Just the, the fact that life isn't that simple. I'm sorry. What did you guys want again? It's, it's completely okay. It's it. I get it. It's been a lot and nobody has really been listening. I feel like I was wondering, since it was one of the people that talked a lot to your father, do you happen to have had contact with this this uh, mother of Jerome? Myself, personally, no, I never had any interest in what was going on over there. I've considered myself lucky that that I've never had to live in a place like that. But I see it. It's right around the corner. And you know, that's always just kind of been taunting me. Just this idea that I could very easily be living there instead. And that's why I've tried so hard with my art to kind of break free. And, you know, with my work, I actually try to, I try to express the, the feelings of, of, you know, of poverty and of injustice and inequality that, that I see around me, that I feel and experience, even though I live here. That's always just been my goal. And she's like crying pretty hard now. And my dad, he always supported it. You know, he always, he never, you know, my mom saw it as a hobby and my dad saw it as a calling. I just feel so rotten that I I let him down so much. And she's like looking to the sky almost. 
Well, I think you are paying back or at least it, it talking to us probably helps. We are really going to do our best to find your father and find out what happened to him and why he hasn't been in contact with you in all this time. The police department's basically given up. The only thing, the only kind of contact I, I really got, you know, I, I feel like these officers working my dad's case just don't give a shit, you know? He's just some troublemaker black cop who's starting problems in the department. They were probably glad to be rid of him. That's what I think. That's what I personally think. And, you know, it wasn't too long after I made the missing persons report that these fucking lunatics from this television show or something, the camera crews, started to show up and start to ask me all these fucking questions about my dad and bring up all this, you know, all this shit about paranormal bullshit and you know i just felt so disgusted that i could have even you know i just i didn't want to accidentally help them they were trying to make a fucking circus out of my dad's disappearance and that's why i was a little reluctant at first you know i thought you were originally calling me to tell me that my dad had been found and i i wasn't ready you know when I, when i answered and waiting for you guys to to get here, I, I realized that any kind of answer is what I need to move on with my life. So, yeah, uh, so, so sorry to uh, you know, hear about all that stuff. So, you, you said you've been bothered. Did, did they, like, what, how did these, you know, paranormal people think about Bob? Like, why were they so interested in your dad's stuff? I have no idea. I literally have no idea. You well, know, they had to they just said, uh, talk to you about, I, I, you have to, you know, talk to you at some point. Like, did they say anything about like what specifically? Or was it just like they wanted to do something about his disappearance in and of itself, but stuff he said? What, what, was, what was the draw for the show? You know, I'll be honest. I chased them out when they got in my face with the cameras and they started asking me all the questions. And I don't think I really wanted to hear why they were that interested. That makes sense. Good for you. Look, you'll have to excuse me for a moment. I just need to use the restroom. Why don't you take a look through our growing catalogue of one-shot scenarios to find out about Chronicles of Darkness, Delta Green, Call of Cthulhu, 13th Age, Eclipse Phase, Rogue Trader, Slasher Flick and probably even more.